Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, he's an entrepreneur and founder of More Than a Meal. It's Mitch Case. How are you doing today, Mitch? I'm doing fantastic, Alex. Thanks for having me on here, man. I'm really excited. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? You know, I grew up in the middle of Missouri. So um, grew up in Jefferson City, kind of lived the typical um, high school life of let me get after the girls and I want to play sports. So I played a lot of soccer and baseball. Um, unfortunately I was about hundred pounds soaking wet my freshman year. So football was never in the cards for me, but I am a diehard chiefs fan now. So I've got that going for me right now, but yeah, so I, I grew up really playing a lot of sports. And one of the things that ultimately ended up happening, which is uh, turned out to be a bless- blessing later in life is I got cut from the baseball team, which was really, really challenging for me, but it turned me to music. So I've been a percussionist since I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And ultimately found uh, drumline as uh, an activity in high school and competed all the way through high school and then carried that into college at Mizzou. So that's kind of a little bit of me growing up in in Jefferson City. And as you kind of mentioned before, like I was really excited to find a, a little bigger town to really kind of grow and blossom in. For listeners that, that don't know, both of us are from Missouri. So we kind of interlocked in where we've lived before, but now we're on different sides of the map now. Right. We talked about sports being a big part of your life. Was sports a confidence booster or something that kind of piqued interest at a young age and something that you just kept on doing over time? Yeah, so I've talked to a lot of people. Like one of the things that I truly enjoy, you know, I, I went through this like, phase in my life, probably four or five years ago, of really trying to find like, what brings me joy? And one of those things that I identified later on, which really relates to why I love the sports side of things was like competition. I don't care if we're playing rock, paper, scissors, flipping a coin, like I want to win and not know like an unhealthy way, but I'm going to do whatever I can to beat the next person. And even though I have kids, I still, I'm going to try and beat them at certain games. You know, I know as a father, I got to let them get a couple wins in there, but the inside of me is a competition. So it was, uh, you know, born from probably my father being very competitive in baseball as he kind of grew up and got into, try to get into some like triple a ball or, or single a, I think it was, I don't remember which one it is, but ultimately he didn't make it to the league, but it was something that he um, really, really enjoyed. And it was a passion that we both found. And it was a really easy way for us to connect and kind of get to know each other and bond as I was kind of growing up through middle school and high school and ultimately into college. So yeah, I'd say the the competition side of things was uh, where it was at. Did your competitiveness ever get too far where it kind of hurt relationships, friendships, things like that? Sure. There's been a few out there where I've crossed the line. And ultimately I think what really happens is I, I more so embarrass myself versus do anything that I kind of regret from what I did from anybody to anybody else. I do remember one time I had just had it. I was on the soccer field and this is probably like, I'd say seventh or eighth grade. I had, we were playing traveling soccer at this point. We were getting whooped up uh, by this team and I just had it. I got beat by this guy and it was only between me and the goal. And at that point I said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to jump on the ball. So I literally dove on the ball as this guy ran past me <laughs> and I got a, I got a yellow card because obviously that's uh, that was a form of cheating. Not my, not my brightest moment, but that was definitely a space where the competitiveness in me uh, 
overboiled and I lost control of my actions. And uh, we all got a good chuckle out, out of it later. But I, I will tell you that my parents were not happy with my integrity in that moment. So life lesson. You talked about football and your size was definitely a disadvantage and not being able to kind of play that much. Was that kind of heartbreaking for you? Not, not so much. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. We were even like focusing on this. So my wife and I talked about this as we went, just got back from a, a road trip to Jefferson city, back to Kansas city. And I was kind of talking with her. We've got a, a four and a half year old son that is getting ready to go into kindergarten. And he's right on that brink of we could hold him back and he can be the like the oldest in his class or we let him go this year and he'll be like the youngest in his class. And a lot of that started boiling up feelings from when I was small in high school in the sense that I, I kind of wanted to hold him back so that he could be a year bigger mm-hmm. so that he could compete in that. My wife's like, ooh, that might be something you need to work through because if you have some issues with like how your how your body was at that point and how it affects you moving forward through sports and competition and dating and all these kinds of different things. And now it's like boiling up and you're wanting to do this for your son is, is interesting. So I like to say like, it didn't have a huge effect on me. Now I will say like, I wasn't really super passionate about football at that point. So it wasn't a huge like goal of mine to go out and play football. But I will say that it it was a big struggle for me on my, my soccer team, my freshman year, you know, I, I was good enough to make the team, but I didn't play a lot. And I always associated that with my body, my size. I'm not physical enough. And soccer is one of those sports where you do need to be fairly physical, but ultimately like I th- as I'm like an adult looking back, I didn't put the time in that needed to be more physical. I didn't go w- with lift weights. I didn't, run extra miles. I didn't push up hard on other people to get stronger in that. So, you know, looking back 10, 15 years, it's like, oh yeah, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. I always call myself a wild card when it comes to sports. Like I don't look at that time. I wasn't the most athletic person in the world, but when I get out on the field, you're going to get shocked at how good I am. And I love how when you, do, I think it's always common in schools, you pick your teams and then sometimes I was always that last person. But then when people saw me, they're like, oh, like, oh, okay, like we should have picked <laughs> right. him in the top five or something. But I think I always liked having that where people underestimate me and I rise to the challenge and kind of showcase what I can offer. And I think that kind of just motivated me now to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to continue being like this because I don't want to be that person that gets picked first. And then I horrible. And then they're like, why did we pick you? I want to be that person. Pick me last so I can prove you wrong. In a way. Yeah. Well, it just sets you up for, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody else about this recently. I always hear about people that, you know, go after a job and oftentimes they feel like they're not qualified for the job sometimes mm-hmm. and they get in it. And I hardly ever, I don't, like I was trying to remember, I don't think I have ever heard of anybody that applied for a job that they felt like they weren't qualified for, got it. And then were fired or demoted because they couldn't keep up with the demand. I think there's just something inside of us. I mean, a rise to the challenge of put something in front of me and watch me go. And, yep. you know, I think you have to have the right mentality for that. But I think there's so much of that, whether it's sports, whether it's your career, whether it's as a father of three, like 
in my mind, there was no way I could keep up with three kids, but here we are like rising to that challenge of, all right, you know, this is, this is the new normal and I've got to figure out how to do it. And I'm going to go do it. Cause I'm not going to be a subpar father. So it's uh, yeah, I think it's just in human, human mentality. And the fact that put us in front of a challenge and let's see what we can create. And that's the best part is where you can take a skill or a concept in one industry or one item, and you can utilize it in any way. And you kind of just mentioned that sports, being a father and business, the same concept works in all those different ways. And you kind of just adapt to that. So I like that kind of example. And a lot of people that are listening can definitely relate if they're going through those experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll throw this in real quick too, because I I started a a group here in Kansas city called pickup KC, where we play basketball to really truly network first. We just happen to play sports. And one of the things that I always tell people when, um, even as they're looking to hire somebody or, um, you know, if if somebody is just, they want the true character of somebody, I I tell them, come out, bring them out to play basketball. Because so often we want to put on this facade of we've got all of our SHIT together (laughs) and, you know, we get out there and when you step in between those lines, it's your gut reaction. It's you making decisions on a split second and the good, the bad and the ugly will come out during those moments. And oftentimes I would say the majority of the people that have come out and played with us, I have seen them do things that I would have never, ever expected of them from a a talent perspective, a personality perspective. And it just kind of goes to show again and again and again of like, you put people in a position to try and thrive or in a space that they don't think they can. And I've seen guys that told me that there is no way they haven't played basketball in 10 years and they are running up and down this court. They're hitting three pointers and they come to me afterward and say, I didn't think I had that in me. That was the most fun I've had in a long time. And they come back out and play again. It's just, uh, I, I just, I love the competition side because I it, like I'm connecting all these dots as we're talking and like competition really pushes people to be better than they actually think they are at times in a healthy way. There can be some, some bad ways too, I suppose. <laughs> when you were a part of percussion and doing band and all that, what was the biggest thing you learned about yourself going through that? Oh man, I would say focus. Focus was the key to making sure that you succeeded in what you were doing, because that was the first time that I really felt like as an individual participating in a team sport, I had to be as good as the next, but like we all had to be the best we'd been or we were going to fall as a line. Yep. And in, in, in baseball, like I could make an error and maybe somebody can back me up or in soccer, I can miss that, but I know I've got another safety behind me or something like that. Drumline, you mess up and you stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, you literally make a loud noise when you mess up or you don't make a noise and you drop a stick, like it stands out. So one of the things that we were just, I, I remember so many practices, we would just sit there and just stand at attention. And that's what we would do for 15 minutes. And I don't know if anybody has ever tried to stand still focus for 15 minutes with a 25 pound drum over your shoulders <laughs> at attention where like, you're scared to even show that you're breathing. It, it makes you focus on those moments where, um, 
where people are at competitions, we would have people come up right in front of the line. And I, I remember as a fresh or a sophomore in high school, this is my first year on the line. There's a, a drum tech or a judge coming up right in front of me. And he knows that I'm the new guy. And he sits down in front of me and uh, we always listen to the tapes afterwards. And he sits down in front of me and he's talking in his tape and he goes, all right, new guy, let's see what you got. And he sat there with me for two or three minutes as we're running through our, our drum solos, all this stuff. And had I not had the ability to focus in that moment, that would have scared the crap out of me and I would have been messed up all over the place. But because we had sat there and practiced focusing on what's in our heads, not letting distractions go around us and listening across the line, both sides of the ears, man, I was thriving in that moment. And it was a blast. As you said, focus, I just remember I was a French horn player in band and like, if you have a solo, you know, you cannot mess up because (laughs) you are going to stand out and everything is just going to go way off. And I think the funny part is even with concerts, I would hear something go off. And in my mind, I'm just laughing because I know if I would make a mistake, I would start laughing because I'm like, eh, I did that <laughs> on purpose. It's supposed to be like that. Yeah, yeah. But focus is so key. And even with any kind of business, I think even CEOs, like if you're not focused on what the task at hand, it's just going to start domino affecting and things are just not going to go well. And I think focus is so key in especially drumline. Oh, I mean, I... I did not do marching band because I didn't want to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning before (laughs) school. But I know. I appreciate you saying that. A lot of people think it was just like, oh, you went out there and hit a drum a little bit. I'm like, no, no. No. There was some (laughs) late nights, early mornings, lots of laps. I remember, oh my gosh, man, when we would break or we would mess up, we had cymbal laps. And I don't know if you ever witnessed a cymbal lap, but we would literally run around the football field, take a pair of cymbals from our our cymbal line. And every like 10 or 15 yards, we'd crash these cymbals (laughs) over the top of our head. And can you, I I mean, one, like those things are heavy after, you know, five minutes, but on top of that, you look silly and obnoxious (laughs) running around the band, crashing cymbals over your head. Isn't that only a nightmares people will have now? You're just going to just clap, clap. That was 15 plus years ago. I don't know if they're allowed to do that stuff anymore. <laughs> probably not. Cause that's probably a term of hazing or something. They're probably, yeah. as you were growing up, did you have any motivation, someone that inspired you, someone that motivated you, something that someone you looked up to? You know, it's probably a fairly cliche answer sometimes, but my dad was really somebody that I admired uh, growing up. He came from, literally nothing. Um, a dad that walked out on him. He had two older brothers. Um, he overcame a lot and, um, his story is absolutely incredible in the sense that he, he kind of raised himself a little bit. I mean, his mom was working multiple jobs to keep money in and he was the youngest of his brothers. So when his dad left, he was kind of a, a teenager kind of into the high school years. And at that point, his brothers had kind of gone to college and, you know, doing their thing. So he was there by himself um, and overcame just a lot and worked hard. Um, You know, he went to college, he started going to college when he was like 25 or 26. So it was, it was late for him. And then coming out, I never, ever once heard him complain about the challenges that he had or poor me or anything like this. It was, I'm going to work. I'm going to change the path of what I had 
And ultimately, like one of the most amazing stories of that and talk about rising to the challenge, he amended his relationship with his father later in life um, so that I could have a relationship with my grandpa. Now, I know that there is some things that my, my dad and my grandpa had to work through, but I loved my grandpa. He changed. He found Christ. He became a, a really good man. Um, I do equate that to the woman that he married later in life that helped kind of get him back on the, the rails. But because of my father being willing to step his probably hurt and pain aside, it opened up a door for me to actually have a relationship with my grandfather. And I absolutely loved and adored that man for many, many years until he's, uh, he's, he's gone to the, the greater side of the world. And, but it's just, it's, a, it's, I sit there and think about what my dad had gone through and what he did and the hard work that he did to give me a head start in life, to be able to start at his ceiling and just grow from there while also allowing that pain and hurt to step aside. So I can have that relationship with my grandpa is just, it's incredible. With your kids, are you focused on making sure that they have that relationship with their grandfather, like how you had it at the time that you built that relationship since he came back at that time? You want to keep that relationship going because it meant so much to you. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm so blessed in the fact that I don't even have to try. My father is knocking on the door to come and hang out. You know, they, they live two and a half hours away in Jeff city and they're up if not once a month, maybe twice a month. And, you know, we just got back from Jefferson city. It'd been nine months since we had been there, but that's because they were up every other weekend for the most part. So, you know, as my son is getting ready to get into like soccer, he's signed up for soccer for the first time this year. My dad's like, when are the games? Do you need a coach? What do you, what do you need from me? So I, I am blessed in the sense that uh, I don't have to try and make an effort for that. My my dad is already, um, he, his foot's in the door. If anything, I'm telling him like, yo, we need some time. <laughs> we need some time, man. A memorable question sometimes we're asked growing up is, what is that dream job that we were wanting I'm going to ask you that question. What was that dream job that you were wanting as you were growing up? Astronaut. No doubt, man. <laughs> no doubt. I still talk today. Like I'm watching, you know, Jeff Bezos take Blue Origin up to the, I'm like, man, I got I to gotta get 400 grand so I can get a ticket on that thing. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be famous enough to be invited in there. So I gotta, I'm going to have to pay my way. But um, from a very early age, just really, really enjoyed um you know, aerospace in general, and just watching these rockets launch. It, like one of the most disappointing points in my life was we were in Florida um, going to Disney World, but we were going to be able to catch a rocket shooting up. And uh, unfortunately, due to weather, they had to cancel it and oh. we had to get home. So I like, I still remember that when I was probably eight or nine years old. But uh, ultimately, I, that's kind of what I went to go study. So I studied mechanical engineering with an emphasis in aerospace to kind of maybe have a shot at being an astronaut, but I, I wasn't good enough, man. I was all C's get degrees and <laughs> I needed to get out before I failed. You talked about Mizzou. Why did you pick Mizzou? That's a really interesting question because, you know, ultimately the reason that I picked Mizzou was it was, it was local and I knew about it. You know, I grew up going to some of those football games, uh, basketball games. It was comfortable. I knew they had a good engineering department. 
as I've grown older, though, like one of the things that I wish I would have done, which I don't regret any of my time at Mizzou, I wish I would have, you know, spread my wings, tried a new part of the the states just to give something new a try. I think I, it's just in the, in the environment that I grew up, it was a very conservative, you know, stay safe, don't take risks type of thing. And, you know, that was the the safe feature for me. But man, if I, if I would have known at this point, I probably would have maybe studied abroad. I would have, I, I'm really like, it's a weird instance of, I want my kids to do the same, but I don't want them to go far away from me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I really got a battle. So if they're going somewhere cool, I'm like, all right, my wife and I, like, we're going to go to an apartment. We're going to go sit right up next to you. Cause I'm, I'm down for Scottsdale, Arizona. Let's go. <laughs> See, I picked a school. I went to Lindenwood here in St. Okay. Charles. Yeah. So I was far enough. Well, I would say like 40 minutes from my parents, okay. but I was at least far enough where they didn't have to bother me as much, but I always had a close relationship with my parents. So I yeah. would call them like 20 times a day. But I think, <laughs> I mean, Mizzou was never a place. I did do a tour at Mizzou and I'm like, okay, it's, it's good. Just not me. Cause you know, Mizzou has that kind of like, kind of that party vibe, like the kind of that kind of style. And that wasn't oh, yeah. just me at the time. Was that something that you or you talked about not taking risks, things like that? Did you go get involved in that kind of atmosphere or did you stay away from it? Man, I, so I didn't have my first drink of alcohol until my summer after I graduated high school. So it was kind of like one of those scenarios of, well, I'm going to college. I hear about all this drinking, so I might as well like at least taste it before I get there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I was, you know, my, my story really relates. Like I was very, very involved in my youth group in high school. Um, led devotions, um, spoke on a couple Sunday mornings from our, you know, youth led, um, sessions. And that was kind of my, my zone, I guess. So I really did not fall towards like the pressure of alcohol or anything along those lines. And not that like I had friends that drank a lot and all that, but it was just, it wasn't my thing. And then, you know, I kind of tell people now, like I went to college and, you know, I I kept a toe in the door for Jesus, but I, I fell into the party scene pretty hard. I mean, just with, between drumline and just buddies, we wanted to like, it was, it was Monday through Saturday. I knew where the, I knew Monday was like dollar night at this bar and Tuesday (laughs) was cover free at this bar. And, you know, it wasn't because I just wanted to go out and get drunk or any, any means like that, but it was just something that we wanted to go do. And we had fun and, you know, quite honestly, we were looking for beautiful women to, see if we could date them for a while. It was, it was just, you know, and I, I don't regret any of that. And like, I didn't meet my wife at Mizzou and she always, I always tell her like, Mizzou is one of my best, like best times of my life. She goes, Oh, I wasn't there. Why, uh, <laughs> why did you enjoy it so much? I'm like, it's the guys, it's the guys that I've, cause every single new year's for the last oh, 10 years, actually, um, there's five buddies that we were just super, super close with. And all of our wives somehow are really good friends now too. And we get together, we're all across the States from North Carolina to Colorado, to Illinois, Missouri. Uh, we get together almost every single new year's to, um, just hang out for a couple of days. And it's like, no time has passed. So, you know, I always tell them like, that's the best time of my life because I solidified some of the best relationships that I've had that will be lifelong friends and, uh, wouldn't change anything for the world. 
I think you're so spot on with that. I think when I left high school, none of them talked to me, friends. So I'm going into college with no one in my back pocket in a way. But those relationships you make in college are so important. One, I'm living with them 24-7. So you see them every day. You're interacting. I was in a fraternity. So I'm still part of them, their daily lives. But still after college, I'm still talking to them after. And I think you just built that bond. And I think it's just amazing that your friends are in different parts of the world. Well, not the world, but in the States. And you still make that time because the friendship, the bond that you guys have created are so important and you're not letting anything stop that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I just, it's, I'm incredibly blessed with the guys that, that I got to meet. I always wondered, like, is it because we're all like thrown into college where you literally for like first time in your life are, at least for my experience, it was the first time in my life where I got to make the majority of those decisions, the the good ones and the bad ones. And you get to hang out with people that are kind of figuring out like who they are at that point in life from the freedom that you now have to the responsibility that's on you. Yeah. I mean, that'll, that'll hit just slap you pretty hard every once in a while of like, man. And I too called my parents a lot being like, what do I do now? (laughs) (laughs) I think that is because it's probably everyone's first time not living at home. And so you have, your parents can't wake you up. Your parents can't help you with anything. You have to make those decisions and you're almost getting that real world experience because after college, you're probably going to live on your own and you still have to continue how you do things. And I seen so many friends, they get to college and they partied so much and that took over their lives and school was not that priority. And they just failed and failed classes and stuff. And I'm thinking, you're here to get this degree. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be important. You can do both, but make sure you go because you're just spending a bunch of money. What? Just go party. It's like you could just live at home and just do it by yourself. <laughs> you I don't ain't have paying to pay $40,000 the- <laughs> to go party and not get anything out of it. Isn't that funny? Like you just associate the fact that, well, if I'm going to college, you know, I'm going to I got to pay the money to party. I'm like, you can just rent a house in Columbia and go and party. Like there weren't, I didn't have a key card to get into the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so much cheaper. So yeah, much cheaper. way cheaper. I don't know if that's good advice or bad advice, but. <laughs> I think the best advice is you have to experience it. I think it's the best learning opportunity. And especially with us, we both were at different schools, different mindsets at those times, but we both learned a lot about ourselves and Amen. things, and it's helped us grown, grow as individuals. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. After college, what was next? What was on the game plan for you? The game plan was to get hired as an mechanical engineer that I was promised multiple zeros on my paycheck and people would just be scraping and clawing to hire me. And I'd have all these choices. And what I did immediately after college was worked at Chipotle because nobody was hiring unless you had three or four years of experience, or you had a higher GPA than a 3.0, which I had a 2.91. So I got kicked out of a lot of algorithms because my GPA was not high enough. Um, and I, I tell people about Chipotle because that was honestly one bit of life where I remember like having a lot of fun. 
Now it was, it was challenging after a while because I'm like, I've got this degree and I've been promised all this stuff and it's not coming to fruition. So, you know, one of the things that I I talk a lot about now is like, nothing is guaranteed. So Mm -hmm. what I did was said, look at me, look at this piece of paper that I have, but I did nothing else other than just like shoot out emails for potential hiring opportunities. I didn't network. I didn't do extra activities outside of drumline to get that experience. Like I didn't do internships. I didn't, I didn't do a lot of the things that other people were willing to do. So I can't sit here and be mad at the world because I didn't get that job. I didn't do the work that I needed to do. That's on me to, to learn that. But I will say I had a blast at Chipotle. I, you know, I was older than my boss. Um, I was wrapping burritos, having fun. I was eating for free. Um, I just, honestly, I had a lot of fun with that because I didn't have the pressure necessarily. Like my rent was low. My expenses were low. Um, I just didn't have a lot of responsibilities after college and I didn't have to go to class. Like it was a cool time, but yeah, after a little while it, it kind of lingered on and I needed to figure out a space. Cause I had called one of my good buddies who was actually in my wedding who lived in Kansas city at the time. And I told him, man, I'm like, I'm six months in here at Chipotle. Like I'm still not getting any leads on the engineering side. Like I'm just kind of hitting a wall. don't know what to do. And he just said, come on up to Kansas city, man. I've got an extra room and you can crash here for a couple months until you can kind of get your feet on the ground and all of that. So um, I started applying to jobs in Kansas city, which I hadn't done yet. And I applied for a job on a Tuesday. I got hired on Thursday. I moved on Saturday and I started on Monday. Like it just happened really, really fast. Um, So yeah, I started working in Kansas city for a manufacturing plant. And that was where I kind of realized that engineering really was not what I was thinking it was going to be. You know, I, I wanted to, I I studied aerospace, like I'm going to design fighter pilot jets and all this kind of cool stuff. And here I am like working on a large HVAC piece of equipment, making sure this piece of metal is compatible with this piece of metal. I'm like, Oh, (laughs) this sucks. Uh, It was, it was a good time because you know it's, it's the first time you're actually making decent money and everything. So that was nice, but I, it just started kind of wearing on me. Of I felt like I was kind of in this rat on a wheel of one task after the next, the same thing over and over. And I, I started looking for other opportunities and really tried my, my way into sales. And the reason I did that is I, I had the ability to communicate sales. You got to be competitive and creative. So it really kind of fit a space for me. And once I found that organization, I, I got I, I got to work with him for eight and a half years and had an absolute blast doing that. Um, at the time when I started, obviously, like I wasn't married, I had no kids, so my priorities were a lot different. But a lot of my story really starts about five years into that job where I have my first son, and a lot of my priorities changed. I you know I was working seventy plus hours a week somewhat bragging about that, you know, look at me, I'm working harder than everybody else. And I, I was paid well to do that. I was hundred percent commissioned. So the time that I put in, I got paid for, which was nice, but that's when I uh, had some changes in life. When you get married and have kids and your priorities change and you know, the 70 hour weeks, the late happy hours, the, not that I was going out and getting drunk at these happy hours, but when I would come home smelling like alcohol, you know, 30 minutes before my boys went to bed and I sit there and tell them this is the most important thing in my life. I have to start looking at myself and saying like, are they, 
because the way that your actions are showing right now is that they are not. So that's where a lot of my like story really, really picks up in regards to kind of what I've done over the last two years, three years of uh, just changing priorities, man. Was there ever a conversation that you had during that, the five years in with your wife, like you needed to change or did she say anything like kind of put a thought in your head? Like, is this job important than raising a family or being involved in those moments or those key moments and stuff? She, she didn't say things that were like, Hey, you're never home or, Hey, you're doing this and that. It was really me talking to her about the situations where I was just so conflicted of like, and this is part of like that conservative mind, like money was safe. So the more money I made, the safer I felt. And, you know, it's kind of probably a stereotypical thing, but like as a male, as a father, I put so much self-worth on the amount of dollars I brought into our house that that was what I like. That's how I felt filled up was providing that. And I'm so blessed to have a wife that just sit down with me one of these days as I was telling her like, man, I just, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I I just want to be back with you guys. I want to do these things. And I I tried to implement a lot of that stuff, but I always started getting questions of like, where are you at? We need to, you need to sign in on this board. And it just, it was starting to become uh, a bad fit for me, but my wife um, freed me of this. And I, I remember it so vividly in the sense that she just told me, she goes, Mitch, your value to this family, to us has nothing to do with the amount of money you bring into our household. It's about the time that you spend with us and being present during that time and loving us unconditional. Those are the things that I need from you as a husband. And that just like weight, like melted off of my shoulders because, you know, as we talked about before, like I was competitive. I wanted to beat myself every year from the previous year. And at some point you get to the point where the only thing that you can really do is either hire somebody or work more hours. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you that sales necessarily means like, you work all those hard hours and all of a sudden you've built this income that continues to do the same thing. No, you have to continue to do what you've been doing. And if you want to change that for more money, oftentimes that means you have to either work more or hire somebody. And uh, unfortunately it was uh, not the, the option was not to hire somebody else at that time. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, it was definitely not a space where my wife was telling me, but more of the sense that I, I came to that conclusion of myself and my wife supported me in that decisions and helped me realize what was most important to me. After you had those conversations, w- did you start looking at other jobs kind of maybe away from sales so that you could have that security with game paid instead of a hundred percent commission? Cause a lot of people are worried. Well, what happens if I don't make money? There's no backup to that what kind of job were you going for next so that you could be home and be that father, be that husband that you wanted to be? I, you know, as I looked at that, there were a lot of different job offers that were, were coming through and I had built a pretty strong network where I had people that had mentioned that, you know, it would be something that I could do. I don't think that my hours would have necessarily changed significantly. I think it probably would have been, you know, 60 hours versus the 70 or 80 if I had made that change, because I was still like, although my wife like released that from me, I still wanted to make good money doing what Mm -hmm. I was doing. 
So it wasn't necessarily like, I'm going to stop working this many hours, but I was very aware of what does it look like to grow and scale our business? Like if I am getting to a certain point and I'm working a certain threshold, I want to be able to put a business case together to be able to hire somebody that relieves that time from me where it's not, that's not an expense. Like I'm not going to stop working because somebody else is doing work with me. It frees me to focus on higher dollar activities versus the other things that are inundating me that I'm, I am working on the nights and weekends that are taking time away from my family. So it wasn't necessarily find a, a job that pays less and has less requirements of me. It was just, I need to see and know that this is the game plan so that we, when, if, and when this point comes and I'm raising my hand, we need to make decisions to change. So I looked at that for a while and um, almost pulled the trigger on a couple opportunities, but ultimately decided that uh, going into business for myself was going to be the route that I wanted to take. Did that competitiveness come into that decision? Cause you talked about previously that you weren't into those risks, but starting your own business is definitely a huge risk. <laughs> uh, that entrepreneurial side of me really blossomed when I was, when I started in sales. Um, it really came down to, you know, when I first started in that, that sales position, I didn't have a lot of guidance on this is how you do this. This is how you do this. It was, you got a number to hit. You need to figure out how to go and do that. Now I had a little bit of guidance from people saying, I suggest you do something like this, but ultimately it was on me to go and do that kind of stuff. So getting creative, creating my own book of business, getting creative with marketing, um, figuring out how I'm going to get in contact with this person, growing a network, all of that stuff really just like sparked this entrepreneurial drive inside of me. And then the ultimate thing that like wrecked me is a, a book called, um, Oh my goodness. I'm totally going to blank on uh, rich dad, poor dad. Goodness. I was like, I just kind of talked about this. There's a book out there by Robert Kiyosaki called rich dad, poor dad. H- have you read that? No. So it really talks about these four different quadrants inside of our professional careers. You have employees, you have self-employed, you have business owners and you have investors. And really he kind of talks about being on different sides. So an employee, they change hours for dollars. So you're going to get paid a dollar per however many hours you work or whatnot. And that's what you'll ultimately do as an employee. Not a bad thing. If that's where you're at, fantastic. Then self-employed is where oftentimes an employee will decide I can go and do this on my own. I'm going to go create a business and do this. And what happens is they're still working that many hours because they don't set up a business to run itself. Mm -hmm. So Robert Kiyosaki talks about if you want to create true wealth, not rich wealth. It takes time to put systems and process in place. And that's where you get to that other side of investor and business owner, because you've put different systems in place. You've put your money in spots where it'll work for you. So he really kind of talks about that. So the, the rich dad is actually the dad that, um, you know, went out and started his own construction business, or I think in, and that one, he might've been like a mechanic or something like that, where he started a business and put systems in place. And he was the, he was the rich dad because he had rich time. He set up businesses in, or systems in place to have time versus money where the poor dad was uh, an adjunct at a nice college, uh, was making good money, but was working 70, 80 hours a week. And just, he was the poor dad because he was poor in time. 
So as I read that book, it just like shattered everything in my belief of where I was going. Like I wanted to work hard. I wanted to make good money. And ultimately I realized like, if I'm going to be that, that rich dad, meaning I'm going to have a lot of time, I've got to make this leap to create different systems inside our business, invest in the right places. Um, and that's where like that risk went out the door, because at this point I felt like I was risking my life as an employee versus the risk that it takes to go out and create a business or something along those lines. So those are the areas where like that risk adverse really started to take grab and realizing the worst thing that could happen. You know, I, I sit there and think about, man, I, I quit my job, so I don't have health insurance. Am I going to be able to make the mortgage payment? Am I going to lose my car? Is my wife going to leave me? Like all of these things like start going in your head and I'm fortunate enough to have some advisors around me that help bring me back. And they're like, has any of that even remotely closely happened? And if you look back on all the risks that you've taken so many times, the worst thing that could happen most likely never actually occurred. Now there's definitely going to be some painful moments, but you know, when I got cut from the baseball team, one of those fears was getting cut. Another fear of mine was to lose friends. Another fear was, you know, I could get hurt, something along those lines. And the fact that, you know, there was one fear that came true is I got cut from my baseball team. That stings a little bit, but I moved on from it, but I never lost any friends. I never got hurt because I didn't have to play. So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's just so many things where I always tell people like, look back at all these things. And if you can think of the worst thing possible, did it actually happen? And I can be willing to bet nine times out of 10 or even 99 out of a hundred, it probably did not happen. So I now kind of take that into a lens of, I need to be real about what I'm doing. I need to be smart about it. You know, I didn't just quit my job and say, screw the man, I'm out. I had a plan in place. I had finances in place to know how much time and runway we had with our finances before it was a situation where I was putting our family at risk. Now I'm happy to say like, I haven't lost my cars. I haven't lost my house. I have my beautiful wife. I've got my kids and we feed them. We've been a year and a half running our business. I haven't taken a paycheck in over a year. You know, it's, it's scary, no doubt. But, um, you know, the fear is the fear for me. It's almost like, man, if I don't do this, I don't want to look back 20, 30 years from now thinking I should have done that because why not? I always say in interviews that when we talk about this concept is you never want to say, why didn't I do this? Or Mm. do I regret not doing this? And I think that was the biggest thing, especially this pandemic. I would say that a lot of people are coming up with these ideas of what I want to do when I get done or when things get back to normal or we're able to get out there. And I would say the show for me was one of those things. I talked about doing it, but I needed to tell myself, just do it. Just go yes. out there. In the words of Nike, just do it. That's I uh, I write personal notes to people after I kind of have conversations with them. But on there right now, it just says, this is the front of the card. Do it now. Wow. I like, like what that. Are, what are you waiting for? Like it is. And I, you know, I, I purposely have it on there. So it reminds me every time I'm writing a note to somebody of like, do it now. Like what is the worst that could happen? And right now, like people call me or, or ask me like, oh man, I want to, I want to do what you've done. Like, I want to quit my job and go into business for myself. And I'm like, well, I'm not like 
I'm not against jobs. Like jobs are good because you can do really, really good work. And if you can find purpose in that work, and it's not that the purpose is you're saving all the puppies because that's what your day job does is you're literally saving puppies. That's not necessarily like, that's going to feel good for sure. Yeah. But if your job allows you to work 30 hours a week because you get Fridays off to spend a three-day weekend with your family and your family is your purpose and your drive and why, that seems like a pretty good setup that I can tell you from the business owner side, that's not happening over here. So figuring out spaces where it's exactly what you want, that you enjoy what you're doing and you get to do the things that you want to do you can be a really, really good employee. And that does not mean a negative thing. It's just, it's a positive in my mind. Let's talk about the concept of more than a meal. What was that concept that you're creating and what's the big mission or message you're trying to bring to the public with it? Yeah, more than a meal got started back in 2018 after my wife and I had our first son. And, you know, after she had preeclampsia and a C-section kind of got knocked down and out through that process. And fortunately we had friends and family that helped us at the very beginning, you know, food being dropped off at least once a day. And, and it was absolutely needed in that time. But I would tell you one of the moments that was the most challenging for us was two or three months down the road. You know, at that point, everybody had moved on to the next person having babies or their own busy schedules. We are sleep deprived and it is hitting hard at that point. My wife's blood pressure from the preeclampsia was still lingering and I was back at work. So it was really, really challenging for us in those moments. And we, we had some friends that uh, previously had dropped some really simple ingredients into our freezer. They had all the instructions written out. All my wife had to do was throw that into a slow cooker and, you know, dinner was made. And I came home from work that day and she told me, I really felt like I helped out today. And it was just kind of that moment where we realized like, this is, it's not the clouds parted by any means, but you know, there's that ray of sunshine that kind of came through and we were like, you know what, we're, we got this, we're feeling confident, we're going to make it. And because of the challenges with our church and our faith on us, we really tried to promote, like our church really promotes church on Monday in the sense that we are all together in community on Sundays, but we spend the majority of our time away from the church. So what can we do to use the gifts that we've been given to go and serve other people? And we've been thinking about like, what can we do to really like show this love that we have for all of our neighbors in a way that's impactful using the skills that we have. And through my engineering, like mindset, like I love diving into figuring out how you get from point A to point B. So essentially we figured out how we can get a website set up to ingredients to a door that are ready to be thrown into a crock pot and making dinner super simple with a personal note that goes inside. So we just decided we had the discretionary income at that time. And just decided to, let's do it. And at the time it was called mommy meals because that's all we were serving was new moms. And we did that for about two years and, and really served probably somewhere around 250, 300 meals, something like that. It wasn't anything where it was sustainable from a business perspective, but really, really found myself enjoying the crap out of what we were doing because I felt so uh, just in the work purposeful work, knowing that we were really, truly helping people that were coming out of a NICU or, you know, similar situation to us. And then at the beginning of 2020 in January, uh, we were trying to decide if we were going to continue doing it. Cause I mean, at that point I was still working my 60, 70 hours plus another 10, 15, 20, trying to get these meals put together. And it was honestly, it was exhausting. But when we looked at the data on who we were providing meals 
to why we are providing those meals and then who was purchasing them, the majority of those orders, over 70% of them were coming from businesses. And that was already the space that I was really involved in with my network already is the business community in Kansas City. So we quickly decided, you know what, this is what the market is telling us is that business owners, HR directors, sales professionals need a way to send a meal to a client or an employee that is impactful, timely, and personal. So we changed everything. We went from mommy meals to more than a meal. We changed our marketing strategy, our branding. We added a commercial kitchen um, just outside of Kansas City and said, let's, let's make a go at this to see if this is something that's sustainable for us to potentially support our family and hopefully future employees along with that. So started doing that and businesses started buying, you know, like 10 meals at a time. So instead of getting 50 or $60 per meal, I was getting 500, $600. And I was like, well, shoot. All right. (laughs) This makes it a little bit easier. And now I'm not trying to contact every individual that's ever had a baby. Now I'm talking to one person that wants to send it out to a hundred people. So the sales side got easier and I, Easier is a relative term because it is not easy, but I'm easier in the sense that I don't have to contact as many people. Uh, So we did that for the remainder of 2020. And it was probably about May or June where I was starting to really hit burnout on my engineering job and really, really loving what I was doing with more than a meal. And just prayed over it a lot and ultimately made the decision to walk away from my engineering career to pursue this full time. Um, And so I left that job in September of 2020 and have been doing more than a meal full time for the most part by myself. We have a commercial kitchen that has an executive chef, but um, for the most part, it's it's been me kind of grinding and the whole like we more than a meal's like mission statement is helping you strengthen your most valued relationship, whether that's a friend, a family member, a colleague, a client. We want this meal to be impactful to that individual for whatever scenario they're going through. And, and sometimes we think about the negative scenarios, but there's a lot of positive scenarios too, between, you know, thank you for the referral. Uh, saw you working overtime last night and just want to make sure we know we saw that and appreciate that, that sacrifice. So we want to serve your family dinner tonight. So we kind of had this idea of like, all right, we're going to buy, allow these individuals and companies to buy 10, 20, 50 meals at a time as a virtual inventory. And then when that event happens, they can send a meal out to an individual on an as needed basis. And we've got, now we've included, like we worked hard on this last year to make it really, really personalized between the branding that goes inside the package and the personal note to video messaging that can come with those meals to even co-branding the packaging that shows up on the doorstep. So we worked really hard on that. And then somebody rocked my world in October of last year and said, why aren't you providing these to employees as a benefit? And I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense because so often companies are trying to figure out how they can serve their employees during different times, especially during COVID with this hybrid work environment. Mm -hmm. So we kind of worked out these ideas and details of in October last year. And ultimately uh, starting this year, we started talking to organizations about saying, Hey, what if we provide our meals to your organization at a discount? Um, and if you guys want to subsidize the cost even more to have a little skin in the game, that's, that's awesome and respectful by all means, but it's not necessary. And, you know, we'll set up, allow these employees to choose if they want a weekly or monthly meal and see what happens. And we started having those conversations. We've onboarded, we'll have eight companies onboarded, 
probably by mid-February. We have some organizations that are subsidizing the cost of these meals 100% for their employees. And it just blows my mind that this is where we are at today from more than a meal to where what started as mommy meals with this intent of like direct-to-consumer, friends and family, send a meal to a loved one, to employee benefits where I'm talking to HR, like it's just, it's so far away from what our initial thought was, but I think that's what allowed us to really be nimble and smooth with our, not only our budget, but like the focus of the company is just truly listening to what people are telling us and navigate it to where it needs to be. I think we're close to the final stage, but I also thought that a year ago. So here we are again, changing everything up again. (laughs) What kind of recipes or meals are these that employees or companies are getting? Like, are they kind of something you created or you talked about an executive chef? Is it something he created? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have six meals that are kind of the OG and those really came from my wife and I finding a handful of recipes online that we really enjoyed. So we kind of have those six meals that have been there, but now we're up to 13 and our executive chef helped us come up with a lot of those really to make sure that we were hitting on a lot of different dietary preferences that are out there between dairy-free, gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, a lot of those different areas. So we can, you know, 10 of our 13 meals are are gluten-free and it's not to say that all of them are just the healthiest meals that are out there. We've got two or three that will knock you out on the couch and you'll have a (laughs) wonderful, wonderful nap. And sometimes, you know what, you got to eat your feelings and I am here for that. Other times, you know, we're really promoting the wellness factor because, you know, what you eat fuels you or it doesn't fuel you. So we want to really promote this wellness idea of, you know, if you're eating this as an employee and your employer is providing it to you, instead of shoving another fast food cheeseburger down your your throat, let's talk about this meal that's going to be, you know, high protein, low carb, whatever that may be, and allow you to feel good in your body, which you never know if that allows you to come into the workplace the next day feeling more motivated, positive, which can have a ripple effect on other people and just create a general environment that you want to be a part of that. You know, I'd like to say it was our meal that made all of that, but you know, that's, it's possible that mm-hmm. that could truly happen. So um, we really kind of promote like just general wellness from eating right. We really promote sitting around the dinner table with your family, which is proven to reduce stress and anxiety, which obviously will change your effect on the office place the next day. And then just general appreciation, not only for the employee, but for the employee's family. I believe if your spouse is now talking about their spouse's company, you've done a pretty good job of making sure that they know that they are cared for. So those are kind of the three areas that we really promote and push in regards to like, you can have this impact on your employees. And this is why we think this is extremely valuable to any organization. Out of those 13 meals, which one's your favorite? Ooh, it's, man, we have a salsa verde, uh, salsa verde chicken one that it's got a little bit of a kick and you throw in that cream cheese. I'm a sucker for oh, some cream man. cheese, man. So it's got uh, chicken, black beans, corns, um, the cream cheese and then the salsa verde sauce, which gives it that kick. And then there's some uh, seasoning that goes inside of it. And you put that on a better ice. Oh my gosh, man, it is, it is so good. And I, I didn't mention before, like all of our meals really focus on the simplicity factor. Um, so everything's pre-chopped and pre-measured, ready to go. You just got to rip it out of the bag and pour it into a slow cooker or an instant pot. Cause we really want to push the hands-free cooking side of things. And one of the things I get asked most, like if you're really going for convenience, why don't you just cook it and send it to them? Like they can do that through Pizza Hut if they want to. We are really trying to promote this idea of 
there's a difference between being given a meal and cooking that meal. As easy as it is to throw ingredients into a crock pot, there is something about that you feel accomplished. It's just like checking off that list, like put making your bed on your checklist or making a checklist on your checklist, because as you get to check that off, you feel really fulfilled in that work. And if you can say that you provided dinner by cooking it for your family versus picking it up, you're going to feel a little bit better about the decisions that you've made. So we really promote like the actual cooking process. We do just make sure it's pretty hands-off for the most part. As you were talking about the concept of your business, I was trying to think of, I mean, you see the commercials all the time for like blue plates and like, I'm, I don't think HelloFresh or something like that, where yeah. they have that similar concept where they send you the ingredients and then you cook it. But I think the biggest thing that separates you apart from those is the kind of the mission behind why that individual is giving that meal to someone or kind of that statement that they're making. Obviously, those companies, they're basically making it easy on it. But I think the value you bring and what you're doing, I think, is more more important or more than a meal. Yes, correct. (laughs) Because I think a lot of people can relate or kind of can connect with your guys's concept. And I think it's a lot better because HelloFresh is, okay, we're just sending you the ingredients, make it so you don't have to go buy it and do it yourself. You're doing it because it's where that person getting out of it and kind of it's the benefits from it. Do you have much competition? Would you say? No. And I, you don't know how much I appreciate you saying that because I don't know how many times I get asked, Oh, so you're like HelloFresh and Blue Apron. And I'm like, oh, Blue Hello. Apron, not Blue Plate. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you say it. I was like, yeah, you know. There, I'm like, I, think, I knew the first word and that was about it. <laughs> there's Blue Apron, HelloFresh. And I think one of them is literally called Plate. I think there is one that's Plate. I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. But I do get asked that a lot of like, so you're a meal kit business and, you know, that's your competition. I, I tell people, you know, from an ingredient perspective of us providing ingredients to you to, cook a meal, then our competition is grocery stores, HelloFresh, yes. all the different stuff. Those aren't my, my competition is flowers and gift cards for the most part, because the mission yeah. behind what we are doing is not the food. And like, that's what I kind of talk about when I, I sit with my advisory team is like, we're not selling a meal. We're selling the more than the more than the meal is where our value is put in. And whether that's that personalized video message that goes to that recipient to see your face, talk to them and say, congratulations on that newborn baby. We know these first few weeks can be challenging or these next couple months can be challenging. And we want you to know that we are here for you and we want dinner to be provided whenever you are ready. Sending that personalized message is, is key to any type of gift that you're giving. So, you know, that's, that's the huge difference in the value that again, we, we really do provide is the meaning behind the meal, not just the ingredients themselves. While at the same time, we know we have to be competitive from a price perspective. So we're right in the mix, but again, it's so much more. I, I tell people you're doing the blue apron, the hello fresh, you're going to have a date night. You might as well open a bottle of wine. You're going to spend some time. You're going to have a great night and you're going to end up having a really good meal, but that's, that's your night. Yep. We want the convenience side without throwing something into the microwave or reheated or anything along those lines. Like we want to give you that convenient night where you can spend the time that you want to spend on yourself, on your family, on your kids, whatever that is. If we can remove dinner from that space while also being able to provide dinner, 
I feel like that's really where we kind of fit in as our, our market spot. I think especially when I started living on my own, cooking was that kind of like sweet spot for me, like creativity, kind of just to play around and I enjoy it. And I've been on this health track where I don't go out. Well, once a week I go out, but I still eat healthy when I go out, but I enjoy cooking. And now I'm going to steal your recipe with that chicken. I mean, I mean, I mean. You better trademark that before I take it. (laughs) But I'm going to go back to when you said um, getting that message and feeling value. I received a box from my company. I don't even know who sent it to me. I know it said my company's name, but the message, it was like this box full of like cheeses. I don't know. I laughed because they bought, they brought, bought me like 10 pairs and I go, why? What, what's with the pears? But they had like chocolate, almonds, cheese, like charcuterie stuff, things like that. But the value what or the message said, happy holidays. We are so thankful to have you in our company. And I think it's that mission or that message, that kind of value that they see in that person and how you said the organizations giving it to their employees and showing that we appreciate the work that you're doing. It goes a long way. And it, mm-hmm. I think, you can relate that to anything, especially social media. Good comments make someone's day. The, if p- places are not showing their value or saying those things, it kind of m- messes with those individuals. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, um, and not to take anything away from the organization that sent you that. Obviously, they, they really thought through that. But one of the things that we really try to promote, so I talk a lot to organizations about customer marketing strategies where... Yeah. They spend their marketing dollars on their existing clients because I believe that's the easiest and most fruitful way to increase revenue, retention, and referrals. One of the things in those 11 steps that I've put together is obviously sending food and gifts and that kind of stuff. One of the challenges that I always talk to people about is if you're sending food or alcohol, you better be dang sure that that person is okay to receive that because you don't know... So certain things. So when it, you talked about, you heard, I, I heard like, I think it was peanuts or cashews or something like that. Had you had a very serious allergic reaction to nuts, the message was great, but the impact was completely shattered because they didn't think that through. And again, like, I don't want to take that away from the organization because very few from what I understand even do that. So Correct. the gesture is very, very good. Um, but I always coach a lot of people to take it the next step, ask them in a nonchalant way where they don't even realize you've asked the question and you forgot about it. Because if I figure out what your favorite dessert is or that your kid loves cookie dough ice cream, and all of a sudden I'm able to, you know, six months removed, I, I remember your kid's birthday and I send a box of cookie dough ice cream to their door that says, Hey, just wanted to wish you know t- Tommy a uh, happy birthday and here's his ice cream that's going to impact them in such a more personal way than if you just sent a box of cookies yep. because because maybe little Tommy is allergic to gluten i don't know so you got to be careful with that and then really really like hitting hard on the alcohol side i come from a construction and engineering background there's a lot of people in that industry that fight addiction uh, to that. So, and, and not necessarily, it, it couldn't even be maybe the individual you're sending it to, but if they have a spouse at home that's fighting that, you've now enabled them and that impact is completely missed. So, I always, always tell people unless you are 100% sure, stay away from sending food and sending alcohol 
And it's, it's one of the reasons why I make sure the recipient selects the type of meal that they want from us versus the buyer sending a meal. So no, uh, anyway, I, to- I totally tips. agree. I I'm a, di- I'm a type one diabetic and they sent mm. me chocolate truffles. Well, that's not good for a diabetic, but, but I totally, I totally agree. Are well, you I'm curious, how would you have felt if they recognized that and they sent stuff that would be compatible with that? Like, would that have made a bigger impact on you? Do you think? So I'm not, I'm not, a. it would not feel right, but I've been in situations where my, my company used to just buy cakes all the time for like gatherings and they know I'm a diabetic and it's kind of like have another option or something, but it's like, if, if that box came and it was all these sweet stuff, I'm going to be like, Hey mom, do you want any of this? Like I can't eat this. Right. And stuff right. like that. I would find another way, but I totally agree. And I still have not figured out who sent it. Like, I don't know if it was my office in Jefferson City or if it was my corporate office. (laughs) No one is telling me who brought it. You can't even send like a thank you email or something. There was no like, there was no address on there. Like, oh no. Like, man, you should have just bought me Omaha steaks or something. Now we're talking. Are you just sending these to places local or have you gone out into other states? So one of the big things that I, I really focused on last year was making sure we could reach further. So at, since the beginning of January uh, of this year, we can now hit all of Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, Eastern Nebraska, and like the Oklahoma City, Tulsa area. So originally you had to be in Kansas City within an hour radius and you had to be at home to receive the meal when it was dropped off. And it was kind of that like I hated to do it, but it's kind of like the uh, the plumber that's showing up like, hey, we'll be there between eight and five. <laughs> it's like, oh, fantastic. Let me just sit here and twiddle my thumbs. So unfortunately, we had to do the scenario of like a.m. drop off or p.m. drop off for the longest time. And it, honestly, it wasn't that big of an issue early on when you know COVID was very rampant and everybody's pretty much home still. But as everybody started opening back up it became more of a, a, an inconvenience. So it was a really big push for us to get to that by the end of the year. And, and we did now we're, we've delivered to one, two, three of the cities that we've identified already. And there's about eight others that were, uh, or eight total that we want to get to. So uh, we're really pushing hard to make sure we can make an impact in other cities outside of Kansas city as well. Well, hearing more about your company, I'm so excited to see the growth that you guys are having and be a part just to hear about it. It's just amazing what you guys are doing. And I hope it's a lot of big things happen for you because you're a great person and I want to see you succeed big time. But what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years personally and professionally? I'll start with professionally because I just got done putting all of my goals together for uh, the first quarter here. So prior to uh, the beginning of this year, we did not have any reoccurring meal options. So the weekly and, and monthly, there's a reason why those companies have reoccurring meal options, because I don't know if you can survive without a subscription model. And as much as I wanted to like fight back on that subscription model, it has to be a part of our business to be predictable revenue. So um, our goal right now for 20 first quarter of 2022 is to get to 250 reoccurring monthly meals. Um, so we are pushing really hard. We're focusing on CPA firms that are going into their busy season to provide meals for them. 
um, real estate agents, attorneys, all these different organizations that could really utilize these meals to help their staff um, during different busy seasons. So um, we've got a long ways to go. We're uh, just about a month in and we're, we're, it takes some time to ramp up. So I, it's not a linear curve. It's going to be an exponential curve, but I feel like we're on track right now for what our goals are going to be. But that's a huge one for us because if we can hit that, I'm really going to feel very confident in what 2022 is going to look like for us because Beyond that, I see myself bringing on another staff member, um, as well as a couple people in the kitchen to help us prep and chop. So those are the the huge big goals for me in the short term for 2022. Um, personally, this has been a grind, man. It has been a an absolute grind, and we we got rid of a lot of things when we had to have our finances really tight. Like we we got rid of some of the fancy date nights that we used to do. We I stopped going to the chiropractor and getting massages. And I I know that sounds like very pretentious and all this kind of stuff, but it was really a space that really helped clear my mind and give me that peace when I was working those long hours. Like that was my time. And I've completely removed that for now. So personally, it kind of dips into professionally. Like I want to be able to take a paycheck uh, pretty freaking soon. And that's one of the things that I want to implement is getting back into like not super elaborate date nights, but I want to get dressed up with my wife again and go out for a bottle of wine and, and some good food. Um, but, you know, also really take the time to take care of my, my body, especially as I got three kids running around and <laughs> sleeping less. Um, I really want to focus on kind of my, my physical health and, and, and mental health in that space. So those are a big part of the personal side of things that I've got for 2022. You got to get back to the, was it the power district in Kansas city? Power and light. Power and light. I've only been to that area once and it was for a work thing. And, oh, I mean, we have that, our version here in St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. Ballpark village. Yep. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? So I think I've got like two, two things, one very practical and something that they can actually do and apply and and come to the realization of like, what do I truly want to do? And something that I had done a couple of years ago was I wrote out a list and it's, I wish I was this genius, but I had somebody else tell it to me. That's a good mentor of mine, but there's a list. And I listed out all the things that I enjoyed in life, whether it was paid, unpaid, And a lot of that happened to be like time with family, connecting people, sports, competition, skiing, snowboarding, all these types of things. And that list was very long because it's very easy to tell yourself the things that you enjoy doing. Like, I really enjoyed this conversation. Like, that is something that I want to do is I want to go and talk and meet good people. Like, I would, you don't have to pay me to do this. I love this. (laughs) Uh, And on the other side of the list was the things that you're good at. And that part is really, really hard because I think a lot of us, uh, at least people with some humility, um, it's hard to brag on yourself. So I always tell people like, break down that barrier and brag on yourself. And if you can't come up with a long list, go start asking other people that you spend a lot of time with and ask them, what do you see things that I'm really good at? And you'll be surprised. And one, it's going to lift your spirits because people are going to tell you things that you had no idea. And you honestly probably self-doubted yourself in that area. So creating that list and that list, um, you, you know, you, you have this list of joys and the things that you're good at, and you can really start to find where those things interact. There's, there's this notion of like, you know, you do the work that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's total BS because 
I've seen some people that love, you know, the mentor of mine that had me do this list. He owns a coffee shop. He loves coffee, but there are some days where he's like, screw it. I'm selling this thing. (laughs) He, he loves what he does, but he has bad days. But what he said is when I have these two things aligned, I enjoy my work. I know it's good work and it's purposeful and it fills my cup. And that's what I want to challenge people to do is write down that list. And if, if you're feeling like you're working this job because it pays you well, there are other people that will pay you and, and you can be inside of that. I don't know if you want to call it like joy zone or fulfillment zone, but that's really where I like from the practical standpoint, go through that list and figure out where that aligns, because I bet you could find an organization, or maybe if you're even lucky, you can do it yourself and build a company and monetize it inside that zone. And I I think you'll just enjoy your career a lot more, which ultimately I think will have an impact on your personal life. The second thing that I always kind of want to tell people is, and we we talked about it before, but I'm just going to reiterate it. Fear is out there and you're going to fear a lot of things, but so often we sit there and fear things that will absolutely never come to fruition. So I challenge people to try and set some of those things aside, be realistic, make a plan. And if ultimately you want to go do something that you know is going to fulfill you and it creates a lot of fear because it's a lot of unknown, what's the worst that could happen? Especially right now with everybody trying to hire people, take a shot, see what happens. Because what you said early on, Alex, like you don't want to look back 20, 30 years from now and say, man, I wish I had done that. Yep. Because that is going to be the thing that I would regret or that I would fear most is that I didn't have the courage or yeah, the courage to go and do something that I thought would be fun. So that's my advice, man. Well, Mitch, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thanks, Alex. I really appreciate you having me on here. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You 